I mean, I think, what if I had to do this also with my children, you know? Same thing, same kind of situation, or we try to be safe, we try to get somewhere that we feel we are secure from this violence. And having my kid, which is, he's just two years old, what if this happened, same thing that happened to us back in time when I was a child? Today's breaking episode of Love Anyway is a bit different than other time-sensitive episodes we've shared because today, while we want to give you the latest, clearest information on what's happening between Iran, Iraq, and the U.S., we also want to take you behind the scenes of a conversation several of us had with our preemptive love colleague and friend, Isan Ibrahim. Isan has lived his whole life in Iraq, and he's lived through what seems like countless wars. I'm Ben Irwin, Communications Director for Preemptive Love, and this is a breaking episode of Love Anyway. Early in the morning of January 8, local time, Iran fired more than a dozen ballistic missiles at two Iraqi military bases housing U.S. troops. At the time of this recording, there are no known casualties. The attack was in retaliation for the assassination of Iran's top military commander, Qasem Soleimani, who was killed in a U.S. drone strike on January 3rd near the Baghdad airport. In an address on January 8th, U.S. President Trump threatened to impose new sanctions on Iran, but also suggested the current crisis is winding down. The audio you're about to hear is from a conversation several members of our team had with Hassan Ibrahim minutes before President Trump's address. Hassan has been part of the preemptive love team in Iraq for almost four years. If you've watched any of our videos over that time, chances are you've seen his handiwork. But Hassan is more than a talented filmmaker. He's an Iraqi a father, a husband, a neighbor, a friend, and to many of us, an essential guide to making sense of the events of the last several days. Isan shared what it was like to wake up to news of Iranian missiles hitting his country. The thing I see a lot of people actually are really worried, including me, about what can happen next. Now I, I don't want to go to sleep, actually. I just feel like I want to stay up all the night. Then to wake up to see like there is war going what's going on, like uh, everyone is trying to do whatever they can to save themselves or to save their families. This is what we fear because it's, I mean, the, the last war against ISIS is just two years ago or even less. We still fight ISIS actually in some places in Iraq. There was an attack recently that led to about tens of soldiers killed by ISIS. So war is not like far from us that we cannot worry or concern about. The people of Iraq are tired of war. They are especially tired of being pawns in the proxy wars of other nations. The thing is, now we are concerned about war that we are not part of it. We are not having an enemy, you know, in it. War that between us and Iran in Iraq soil. And the people here who they will suffer, who will pay the heavy price of this uh, ongoing war, by proxy in Iraq, which is very sad and very upsetting, very frustrating to see that Iraq is being seen by other nations as a place always known for war, always known for violence. People here reject this. People here seeing that Iraq has so much potential to be a leader in this region. But War and violence didn't let this happen. It's keep coming. And every day we have violence here in Iraq. 
it will bring us to years of instability uh, after that, uh, years of insecurity. We hope, we wish, we pray that this escalation between the United States and Iran come to a solution that brings peace to the region and wise people come and de-escalate this and try to stop this from going to something worse like war. Isan has experienced war firsthand. In the first season of the Love Anyway podcast, you heard Isan share about his longest night, the night he was stuck in the Iraqi desert trying to deliver emergency aid, caught between an ISIS convoy and U.S. airstrikes. But Isan's experience of war goes back farther than that. We know and we see, we felt how war can be and how destructive it is and how horrible it is when you have it in your house, when you have it in your home, when you have it in your country. I wondered what Isan, with an experience of war most of us can only imagine, would say to the leaders of Iran and the U.S. So I asked him. If you had an audience with Rouhani, with Trump, what would you say to them? If you had an invitation to say whatever you wanted to the leaders of Iran, to the leaders of the U.S., what would you say? Well, I, I say there is no enough bullets and bombs in this war that can make peace. Whatever you do now, whatever you decide now, it's what will shape the future of this region, will shape the future of the people. So escalating this to a next war here, the people here will be the only ones who will suffer. During the war with ISIS, still fresh in the minds of so many Iraqis, Isan came face to face with the devastating fallout of war. Children in the desert lost their parents just recently by bombs, by bullets, by violence, by, by war. Is this the future they expected? Definitely not. Is this the future their parents saw for them? Absolutely not. So you will be the one that will decide what will be the future for all these generations, for all these people. And you will be known for that, the one who brought this future for them. Hassan is in his 30s, born and raised in Iraq. And he has lived through more than one war. Sometimes you feel you want to throw up, you know. This, this is how we feel now under all of this. To be worried of this, what the future will be. When it, uh, the 2003 U.S. invasion happened, I was about 14 years old. Maybe our parents, when this invasion happened, maybe our parents saw that too. Saw that, oh, there's hope, uh, at least not for us, but for our children. We'll have a great future. We'll have something that we couldn't have because of the war. You know, they have been in war in, for the 80s, eight years of war with Iran, and then in 1991, and then the U.S. invasion. But this is the thing. Maybe they felt the same way we feel now that, oh, this is, this is a new beginning, our, at least for our children. Our children will have the future that we hoped we have, we wished we have. But then it's, the world never ends. I mean, why? I see now this. I feel that. I feel, well, maybe not for us, maybe not for my generation, but maybe for my children. Maybe they can have something peaceful peaceful future, a prosperous future they can live in, the, the same future that we hope we have. 
but we couldn't because of this, because of the violence, because of the war, because of the instability. I know, I know how nauseating it feels from far away to see this happening again. And again, I can't even wrap my head around how it must feel when you live in it, when to your country being used as the turf for someone else's proxy war. I was a kid during the first Gulf War in 91, and we experienced it as a form of entertainment. Like it was the first war that was broadcast live on TV, and you could watch CNN and see the, the tracer fire over Baghdad. They actually made like trading cards of all the figures involved in the war, and I had them all. Like it was sold to us as a form of entertainment. The cost of war was just kind of stripped away from it for us. I think we're still seeing the consequences of viewing war through that sanitized lens. I kind of think it's almost like one step up from that. That's my colleague, Wendy Russ, impact officer with Preemptive Love. We're so attracted as Americans to the glory of getting the bad guy. You know, all the movies are underdog fights bad guy and wins and the good guy always wins and it's good to get the bad guy. And it, it just becomes such a romanticized idea. And I think it, we're kind of addicted to that. Then I have uh, some few flashbacks from the 1991 war. Those flashbacks is just stick in my mind. Like it's, it's the only things I have. I was, I don't know, four years old, five years old during that time. And I remember that my parents was trying to move from our house that is in the middle of the city and take us all to their parents' house. And I mean, because their parents asked for all the sons and their families to come and stay with them to be in under one roof. So they are not, will not be targeted or they will not be affected if, if the city bombed by uh u.s forces so those flashbacks is basically me i was on my father's shoulder my brother was with my uncle and it was rainy it was muddy and they try us to take us through that very narrow road to get us to the that neighborhood which is uh, on the on this town corridor i remember the smell of something burning and that's it. That was when I was a child. And that memory is just terrifies me every time I think of it. I mean, I think, what if I had to do this also with my children? You know, same thing, same kind of situation, or we try to be safe, we try to get somewhere that we feel we are secure from this violence and Having my kid, which is, he's just two years old. What if this happened, the same thing that happened to us back in time when I was a child? They have to experience and process all of this. The fear, the worry, I didn't know at that time. Even if they try to explain to me what's happened. I, I, even if they already tried, but maybe I don't remember. But I just have that image in my mind. Along with all the other images that I got of war in 2003 in the sectarian war in 2006 in the 2014 ISIS war and 
all of those images like together. I don't want to see that. No one actually want to see that. No one here also wished to have this. They all reject it. They just feel tired of all these wars. They feel tired that every generation, now every three, five years that we have to experience something related to war, related to tension, related to be worried, oh, what's going on, what will happen? A lot has been said recently about sanctions. In his address after the Iranian missile strikes, President Trump threatened to impose new sanctions on Iran. When Baghdad called on U.S. troops to leave Iraq, the U.S. threatened to retaliate. The United States uses sanctions more than any other country. Governments impose sanctions on other countries to try and influence their strategic decisions or deter them from hostile behavior. Critics say sanctions are rarely successful in changing behavior and dramatically affect innocent people who have to try to survive while their economy suffers. For Isan, sanctions are more than an economic talking point. He grew up under the U.S.-led sanctions intended to pressure former Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. Hassan is understandably worried about the effect a new round of sanctions might have on this country. Now everyone is talking about those sanctions. Everyone is worried. Actually, the DNR value is just dropped, I don't know, like 2%. And that's just a single threat. How about if the sanctions actually happen? The thing is, all that time of sanctions in Iraq, since 1991 until 2003, the only ones who hurt by it is the people, just normal people, people like my parents, my neighborhood, everyone who are not involved with the government, Saddam and his family, they were like in heaven. Actually, they were building palaces at that time. They have a very loud parties every night. They did whatever they can because they can, but people, normal people, they can't. And they suffered. They sell their belongings. They sell the, the things they have in their house, like a chair, like a refrigerator to get milk for their children. Because the salary they get from the government, you can't even buy one kilo of meat with it. The kilo was 4,000 dinar for meat. And the salary for a teacher was just 3,000 dinar a month. This is very devastating. This is just... Will it bring people to that time, to that era? They're thinking that, oh, are we going to that? Is that what's actually going? Iran, United States have war. Now we have to suffer all of this. Are we getting sanctions? All kind of terrible different ideas that people are trying to avoid thinking of. Well, this is, this is where it's really going. And we can't just think of sanctions as something that hurts people while they're in place. Like, the last round of sanctions that you mentioned up until 2003, they're still having an effect on Iraq. They're part of the reason why it's so hard to get access to banking and credit in Iraq. Sanctions that theoretically expired over a decade ago are still having consequences for ordinary Iraqi people. Son, I'm guessing what you shared about those memories when you were four, I'm guessing those are probably some of your earliest memories as a kid. Those are the few, some of the few memories I had when I was in, in that age, actually. This memory cannot leave me. Like I still, I still have it. I cannot just think that one day I will forget it. But 
I'm just keep remembering that oh they are is this gonna happen are we getting to the same kind of situation when I have to put my children on my shoulder try to escape war which is actually the same thing that happened to the people when ISIS came they try to run for their lives for their family lives and go outside to safety I saw them and when I saw them I recalled that memory I start to remember that again Son, I just wanted to thank you. I know this is not easy stuff to share. This group, we're here to hold it with you and stand with you in it. This is why we have to keep telling these stories because it's so deeply embedded in people's minds, in people's psyches, that this is the only way. And some people believe that because it's all, like, it's all we've been told. And we've literally been sold this idea of war as this necessary and even exciting thing when it is anything but that's why we have to keep telling these stories that's why we have to keep doing the work that we're trying to do son really grateful for you really grateful for your perspective for your words for your wisdom for the way you lead us and help us think through some really hard stuff and the way you invite us in and allow us to share it with you that's it for today We'll continue to monitor the situation in Iraq and Iran and provide up-to-the-minute updates online. Text LOVEANYWAYPOD to 72000 so you don't miss a thing. And if you want to stand with us and work to end war, the best way to do that is to give monthly at preemptivelove.org. We're Preemptive Love on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Show notes with photos and bonus content are available at preemptivelove.org podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Irwin, and this is love anyway.